world welcome to the show today we have a special episode focusing on cloud summit 2021 it's an event coming up next week and with me a keynote at to this event kyla how are you kyla good how's it going frank yeah, super happy to have you on the show uh yeah so do you want to introduce yourself quickly Sure. So I'm Kayla Cinnamon. I am the program manager on Windows Terminal, and I have a keynote next week talking about the evolution of Terminal, how we started and how we got to where we are today. Um, and that's on September 15th. So if you want to check that out, make sure you sign up for the Cloud Summit. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here helping host this show. Uh, we got a bunch of fun stuff planned. Yeah. So this is a big event. So when is it? Do you remember all the dates? It's September 13th through the 23rd. Yeah, 11 days of live streaming. This is this is a very long event, like one, 120 sessions. Mm -hmm. And on September 19th, that's a day dedicated for students, which is really exciting. Yeah, really great for students. So student, September 19th is for you. And also there's 150, uh, 150 speakers to that event. And today, well, I'm one of those speakers, but we have also other speakers with us that will give a little tease, an aperçu of their talk. So let's bring a few of them to, uh, to let, let us know what they will be talking about. So let's talk to uh, Jonah. Hello, Jonah. How are you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm great. I'm uh, Jonah Anderson. I'm a Microsoft MVP here in uh, Sweden, and I'm going to talking about things to consider uh, moving applications to the cloud. And uh, that's my journey. And oh, wonderful. I hope to see you. Yes. Looking forward to know more about that. Uh, in a few seconds, we'll, we'll get back to you. And after that, we'll be talking to uh, Vedan. Hello, I'm Vedant. I'm a Google Microsoft Student Ambassador from India. And I'll be talking about how you can create computer vision models using Azure Custom Vision. Wonderful, wonderful. Looking forward to, to learn more about that. And like you, I know you have a fun story also, so that will be pretty interesting. Uh, Olina. Hi. Same name. I don't know why I'm killing it. Sorry. Olena. Olena <laughs> All health here, yeah. Um, so yeah, once more, my name is Elena Borzenko. My name is sounds weird because I'm from Ukraine originally. Uh, but my session today is going to be about real-time functionality using Azure Cosmos DB and React. We will have a look on a small example of the monitoring dashboard. Wonderful, very exciting. And uh, another one speaker that we bring is Sam. Hello, sir. Hi, yeah, my name is Sam Kogan, and I'm, a, I'm an Azure MVP as well from the UK. Um, and today we're going to be talking about my session, which is on the state of infrastructure as code in Azure and how you can get started using that to deploy your Azure resources. Oh, I like that. I like that. I already have tons of questions for you. Looking forward to, uh, to talk more and learn more about it. But before we go into all those details, uh, I know, Kyla, you brought some uh, news you want to share with us. Yeah, um, so last week we had a new Windows Terminal release, which is always exciting. We try to release every once or two, one or two months, um, but last week's was especially exciting, at least for our team, because we were planning on doing bug fix release. So all of our engineers were working on performance improvements and fixing bugs, but then the community was really fired up and they contributed a bunch of great features as well. So it ended up being a really holistic release with some good features as well as some great bug fixes. So it was pretty exciting to see kind of everyone come together to create that new build of Windows Terminal. Um, I think my favorite feature that got added is the acrylic title bar. So now your entire terminal can be acrylic from the window to the title bar itself. And the whole thing's really glassy and, and see-through. And it's really, really cool to see. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it, yeah. Is it available now? I'm opening it right now, the terminal, <laughs> to see it. Yeah. Or maybe so it's my team. You need to change something, maybe? You need Windows Terminal Preview if you uh, want to get all the new features. Um, but you can get it from the Microsoft Store, and all of these great features will move into the Windows Terminal Stable build also on the Microsoft Store and built into some versions of Windows. Probably in the next uh, like five, six weeks, we'll, we'll move all those features in um, once they're baked and, and well-tested and all that in preview. Um, but I always use preview every day, so 
It's whatever your preference. Yeah, that's cool. Like, it's a new laptop right now, so that's why probably like I picked the the stable one, whatever. But like, uh, yeah. preview is is nice too. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, very happy about that. Like, and the, that blog post, that link will be at the top of the show notes, available after this show, and the link should appear or already appeared earlier in the um, in the bottom of your screen. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you say? Should we bring the first guest right now and just like uh, start? Uh, this vals of this, that dense of topics. Yeah, so let, let's bring Jonah with us. Hello. Hi, 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 Frank. So very happy to have you. Um, we, we met earlier and uh, we recorded a little video where you present uh, your journey. So let's have a look to that. Yes. So what's your talk about? Yes, my talk is gonna be about uh, things to consider, uh, my, uh, things to consider when migrating old .NET applications to the cloud. And uh, I will be, I will be presenting and sharing about uh, the, my developer experience and my cloud migration uh, story. So to start with, I am Jonah Anderson. I'm a Microsoft MVP and a software engineer. And uh, I will be talking about uh, the talk at Cloud Summit. I will be sharing about my uh, real cloud migration journey and why it turned into a fiasco, as well as the lessons learned and also my recommendation to use uh, the cloud, uh, Microsoft Cloud Adoption uh, Framework. And I uh, wanted to share about the reality of projects in which uh, sometimes when we are in an IT development projects, uh, our, our uh, managers, our developers, and even testers have different uh, point of view about uh, how things should be done in a project. And that's how it happened with me. I became the super woman who had the responsibility to lift an old uh, mig uh, migration project to the cloud. And the purpose of that is that uh, we wanted to move a .NET uh, framework, an old one, which is a 15 years old uh, application to Azure. And we did everything we can for all the different levels, uh, like uh, uh, we did the migrate and rehose, re uh, refactoring, and try to modernize. So we did it all, lift and shift, refactor and rehose. And the last we tried was start, start from scratch. But that didn't make it to production and it, there was a stop in that. And what I learned is that uh, from that uh, migration story or experience is that we need to define our migration strategy, uh, fix our technical depths, uh, and also cloud readiness is important for the entire organization from top to bottom. And uh, we need to build an Azure, I mean, not, uh, I mean a cloud migration uh, a team that will uh, help us move to the cloud and get help from experts and also cloud providers like Microsoft. They have uh, Azure migration uh, tools and resources for those that needs it. And yeah, so my final advice uh, about this talk as well is that don't rush moving and flying up to the cloud and make use of the cloud Microsoft Cloud Adaptation Framework for Azure. And uh, don't miss my talk uh, on September 14th uh, at 8.10 to 8.35 a.m. at Cloud Summit. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, so, like, you you passed through all those. Uh, let me move us a little bit bigger so we can see. So, like, you you mentioned like all those uh, great suggestions. But what would be like the first one, like the the one that organization cannot miss? Like, they should really start by that. Um, I think my best advice for organization to start uh, working with uh, their cloud migration is that to plan their strategy and also make use of the tools that Microsoft has, which is the Microsoft Cloud Adaptation Framework. And there are a lot of migration tools also like Azure Migrate helps you uh, move databases from on-premise uh, to the cloud without any hassles and lots of refactoring. So that's my advice. And also, uh, 
cloud migration or cloud transformation begins from the top of the organization down to the developers. So it is uh, crowd readiness is important. And yeah, that's my advice. Everybody should be in the game and like think before jumping in. And for fellow yes. friends, developers, or like maybe those who have a little bit more their their ends in in the code in the data, like what will be the like the strategy again? Thinking and planning, or like you have another advice? Yeah, I think uh, it's also the, about the same as as it starts from the top to to the developer team. But also, it is also important to technically prepare to learn about uh, coding and developing with Azure technologies. And one of the best things that I recommend, I personally myself do, is I like to certify myself. So I'm a Microsoft certified Azure Developer Associate because uh, I want to be prepared and I want to be involved in cloud transformations and any projects that I'm involved with. So my advice, uh, get certified and make use of the Microsoft Learn uh, tools that are free for us. Yeah, indeed. Uh, like I'm assuming also like a little bit of practice could be good. Like, you know, before getting started with that migration of complex, huge database, maybe we could migrate like a fake one, like or tinier one just to kind of get better with the tools? Because you mentioned yes. there's multiple tools. Yes, a prototype, like I do a mini projects with the team and collaboration is very important when it comes to cloud migration. In my experience, it I did it alone. That's why it turned into a fiasco because I didn't get any support from my, from my uh, project team. I was the one that was uh, doing everything. So it's good that there's, you build the team that are prepared to move up to the cloud together, not alone. So that this is the reason why I'm, doing this talk because it's based on my real life experience and it motivated me to to really learn more about uh, cloud uh, with Azure. Wonderful. And before we go back to uh, real time and check the question from the chat, can you re remind us when is your talk? Yeah, my talk will be on September 14 uh, at uh, Cloud Summit uh, this year. Uh, the time will be at the 8.10 a.m. to 8.35 a.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. That was a great talk. Migration also so stressful when it's time to move to the cloud. People are scared. So I like that you say, hey, you know, take your time, plan. It's 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 worth it so much. Uh, all the tools you mentioned, like, is it for only one type of database in Azure? Or like, Mike, we, is it for, is it open? Can we migrate to many different destinations? Yeah, it is. Uh, there are actually different alternatives in the moving uh, uh, moving applications to the cloud, depending on what uh, you want to to achieve, of course. So there is an Azure Migrate that helps uh, migrate uh, uh, on-premise database into the cloud in Azure. So there are a lot of uh, resources available for for those that wants to move to the cloud. And the cloud adaptation framework is a great way to start with, especially if you don't know how to get started. Yeah, I think uh, yesterday after Hello World, there was a, a show on uh, about that uh, framework. That's really convenient. And the tool you mentioned, I think they, they do the migration and it's really smart. They do it in two time, like two phases where like you move your structure first or something like that. Like, are you familiar with like, mm -hmm. how it works? So can you could you go a little bit more in, in details about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. First, you need to define your strategy, and then you plan. Actually, there are different phases of that. The first is you define your strategy, you plan, you prepare and adapt, uh, and then govern and manage. Uh, so it is uh, it has different uh, steps in it. Yes. And what if like you have a lot of data? Like, should I just expect do it like some upload for like a month or there's there other way to uh, bring the data into a uh, into the cloud 
Yes, uh, the Azure uh, migration tool has uh, the database option. There are different uh, categories for which type of uh, data are you going to uh, use. So if you want to migrate uh, the database, then the Azure migration tool it has that option as well. Yeah, for my case and my experience, uh, I was uh, uh, we didn't have we didn't have that option. We didn't know that before, so that's why that migration didn't really work out so so well. So I wish that uh, during that time we we were aware of the cloud adaptation framework, and this is the reason why I'm advocating it to 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 everyone. Well, very appreciated. Thank you for all your share today. And Kyla, who's coming next with us today? Um, so we actually have another sneak peek of another Cloud Summit session with one of our student ambassadors. So Vedant, why don't you come on up and join us? Hello. Hey, how's it going? All good. <laughs> so um, I got a sneak peek of your video and I'm pretty excited to watch it. Um, I know you might have had some technical difficulties with like audio and things, but I think it came out really well. And I think we should jump in and see what your session's all about. Sure. Welcome to the Cloud Summit with the mission of finding Dory using Microsoft Custom Vision. And I am your mission commander. So let's get started with this mission. Now, before we go on to the main mission of finding Dory, What's this all about? Like, who is Dory and why are we finding Dory? So there's a mission pre-story. So Dory is my pet, my cute little blue pet. I play with her, enjoy together a lot of time. Uh, that's our picture on the screen from Nesafic Ocean that exists, besides specific somewhere. And we do a lot of things. So here we are doing scuba diving, looking at some creatures and stuff. Now, uh, one day Dory went to play outside with one of her friends, Marlin, and um, they're playing, they're enjoying, but suddenly something sad happened. What was it? Now, out of blue, Dory got lost. Poor little Dory, I do care about her. She's my cute little pet, and she got lost. And I don't know, I'm really worried. I don't know where she is. Um, I want to find her, but how do I do that? So I really got a good person when I was looking in the ocean for Dory. I got another fish, Cami. She had this uh, camera in her hand. And what Cami does is, I asked Cami to just click photos of the ocean all time around. So Cami is clicking photos and sending me photos of the ocean every minute so that I can just go through those photos and find Dory, if uh, like just spot Dory into it. So my objective is to spot Dory, but there's a problem. A big, big problem. And that's why I'm worried in there, in that picture over there. So the problem is that I have a full-time job. I cannot really go through each image every minute and spot for Dory. Although I care a lot about her, but, well, that's not possible. So there's so many pictures to analyze. What to do? So I also have a solution. After thinking a lot, brainstorming a lot, I got a solution that is, let's automate this process. I mean... I cannot really go through Dory's, those images that Cam is sending one by one, uh, but I can automate that process and ask computer to do it with computer vision. Now, it's okay if you don't know about computer vision and if it's a new term for you, but you know about automation, right? So our goal is to ask computer to go analyze those images and spot Dory. Now, I'm, we are on this mission. I'm the mission commander. You are my mission associates, let's call that. And before we go on to the main mission, we need to go through some mission training. What's that training about? There's some terms that one should know about. These are some common terms these days, but it's there's no hazard in just going through them once again. So artificial intelligence or AI is the intelligence demonstrated by machines. So like humans, machines can also demonstrate intelligence these days with the help of AI. Now, how do we do that? We can do that with machine learning. So machine learning is a branch of AI which can make that possible, which can give intelligence to machine. And uh, that happens when we ask machine to get some experience around with data. So machine is going through around data and learning with that data and improving the accuracy or the performance over time. Now, there can be a lot of tasks that a machine can do, or we can ask a machine to do. But specifically, there's a task of computer vision. 
giving machine ability to see and analyze those everything that it sees by its own so that's computer vision well it's simple right computer with a vision damn computer vision so that's what we are going to do and if you want to learn more about those terms there's a link over there on the slide you can refer to that link that document and go through that now let's know about computer vision it's how does it work now so it's similar to how you train a baby so you need to train a computer in the same way how you train a baby now suppose there is a red ball and a red apple now obviously you don't want a baby to eat a ball you want the baby to eat apples so i'll just take that apple and instead of the baby and tell him or her that this is the apple it it has a leaf it's not entirely spherical eat this not this ball which is totally round and doesn't have a leaf and it's just i mean a ball right so i'll maybe repeatedly show those things to the the baby and eventually let's say after a few experience after maybe few weeks the baby will understand that ball is a sweet thing to eat and apple is that something a baby should eat right now that's how we do with computer with computer we show the images we pass the images to the computer the uh, computer will analyze those images and understand what dory looks like and then when we when cami will pass an image to the computer the computer will be able to recognize dory from those images now that's the code so i have dory's images uh, we had spent a lot of time together so i collected few images of dory and i have it which we can pass to the computer but how do we do that there's a service by microsoft cognitive services called custom vision customvision.ai which we can use to create this computer vision model we just need to pass images and that's how it works now for that you need azure credit so azure boy over there on the right hand side bottom gave me some credits some azure cloud credits which we can use to uh, go on and create models on customvision.ai and that's the goal so we are going to do that in the main presentation on 19th of september throughout the cloud summit so do make sure if you're interested register for cloud summit and jump onto my channel catch you there and we'll have some fun finding dory thank you that was awesome vedant so 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 much creativity <laughs> thank you so question for you are there any other applications of ms custom vision that you know of absolutely so are there two things like the one which we did or which i'm going to do in the main session is of for object detection we are trying to detect dory from the picture and the other could be image classification so i personally have worked on breast cancer classification crop disease classification really real time applications using custom vision and um like i i never really play with the those model and stuff like do you need to import a lot of images to make the model performant or like what's the what's the sweet spot or like how does that work that's the interesting thing right you the minimum number of images that one needs is just 15 and a lot of times it even works with 15 to 20 images per class but yeah sometimes if the images are very complicated or very similar to each other then in that in those cases you might need more images but you can see the performance so it's kind of a hit and trial thing you train the model with set of images and if the if performance is not good you can add images and so on Wow, I would have expected way more than 15. That was actually really surprising. Um so if I'm uploading these images and my data, how is my privacy maintained when I do that? So Microsoft follows a strict ethical standard. They're with with this they're also following the GDPR terms and the user has all the control of the data and can delete it. So the backend is assured everything which is happening with the backend assure so your data gets stored there under one of the resources and you have full control over it awesome um oh go ahead <laughs> i was just curious like like is there like do i need to know a lot of code for that like is there just i don't know like i'm a dotnet developer is there just like in javascript or in dotnet or like no code is needed like like how how does that 
how it's working. Yeah, so traditionally, if you do computer vision, you need to you know, create a whole script of Python and R, training them, calling the images, training the model, doing hit and trial, and a lot of things. And it is really difficult. I've done that personally. But when I came across this, it's a no-code approach. You don't need to type any line of code. Just upload your images, click on train, and done. That's fantastic. So I'm assuming you have maybe a, a, a little bit less option or not even, it's just service and like everything works by itself? Yeah, it, it creates an API endpoint for you, which you can use for your further applications to create maybe a mobile app or web app, which is based on this service. And that's it. So no coding for the machine learning part. It's all no code. Really interesting. And anyone so can do definitely a, 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 a a talk I want I won't miss on uh, Azure Summit. Yeah, me too. Uh, which day is it on? Also, so it's on nineteenth of September it, under the student track. They do a special student track at Cloud Summit on nineteenth of September, and my talk happens there. So I'm really excited. Thanks, Fadan, for coming on to the show. Um, we also have a new guest to bring in to the segment. So we have Laurent here, and he has a new Humans of Microsoft uh, segment to show us. Hey, Laurent. Hey, Kayla. Hey, Frank. How are you doing? Good. Good. Cool. So today's segment is a little bit emotional. Actually, it's very emotional for all of us because um, this is actually the last recording that I did with Abel Wong. And Abel Wong, for those of you who don't know him, uh, he's an amazing cloud advocate. He uh, transitioned to a new role, uh, you know, just before we did the recording. But uh, Abel Wong unfortunately passed away uh, shortly after we did the recording. And he's going to talk about uh, his cancer. He was very open about it in the segment. So I would propose that we watch the segment first. And after that, I'll come back uh, to uh, the show here to tell you how you can help with, uh, with an organization that was very dear to Abel. So let's roll the, the clip. Welcome back to Humans of Microsoft. This is a segment where we talk to people just like you and me, but they all happen to work for Microsoft. And today I have a guest who is not really just like you and me because it's a, it's an actual rock star. And I'm so happy to welcome my good friend, Abel Wong to the show. Hello, Abel, how are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Such a pleasure to have you. And as the first guest of season two, Abel, you are a principal program manager and you work for Azure Incubations, right? Yes, that is correct. I'm uh, officially, I'm the technical advisor to the CTO of Azure, so to Mark Rusinovich. So Abel, I know that a few years ago, you were living in Houston and you moved to, to the Pacific Northwest where you are now. So in the region of Seattle, which is uh, you know, the headquarters of Microsoft. Why did you decide to move and how do you feel that it impacted your career? Uh, that's a great question. I actually, I've always wanted to make it to the West Coast. Right? I grew up in the Midwest um, in the United States, but I wanted to be in California because clearly that's where I belong or somewhere on the West Coast. I definitely didn't belong in the Midwest. Um, but when I graduated from college, I already had my my son then. So money was really tight. And, you know, right. I, got, I got a CS degree and I got job offers on the East Coast, West Coast everywhere. Um, but they all paid the same amount of money. But living in Houston, Texas, that, that was the cost of living is so cheap. It was kind of a no-brainer. So my plan oh. was move to Houston, and then in a couple of years, I'll find a job somehow and get to the West Coast. But um, what I didn't realize is once you have children, you're kind of stuck in place, right? So yes. as soon as my son graduated from high school, I looked at my wife. She looked at me, and we said, now's the time, right? And, oh, and wow. I knew I wanted to spend a little bit of time in Redmond, at least, uh, just because that's the corporate headquarters for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be where the action was. I wanted to see what it was like. You know, I knew I could compete in Microsoft everywhere else, right? Around the world, doing services, sure. doing sales. But I was like, can I compete with those Redmond people? With the, can I join like a product group? Can I, am I, am I at that level? Can I do this? So it was like a challenge. Um, and it was a strategic move on my part in terms of what I wanted for my career. So I actually got a, a, a job um, in product marketing um, oh. and I moved over to Seattle and it was amazing coming into work, 
going into campus every single day. It was it was mm -hmm. freaking amazing. Um, the the amount of connections that I built was was invaluable. Right, the mm -hmm. face to face time. I think it was a huge positive influence on my career. And I'm not saying that it's the only way to do things, but for me, um, I'm glad I made the move. What production software that you wrote are you the proudest of? Ah, that's another great question. Um, I think I need to go all the way back in time to this was my third year uh, out of college. I mm -hmm. somehow fooled Chase Bank into thinking that I was actually like a, a software architect of some sort. And at that time, this was during the dot-com boom. So uh, it, everybody was getting jobs. But um, I was, we were trying to get bank information, except they stored all their bank information on mainframes, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to have web servers that could serve a web page that would pull that live information from the mainframe, well, that was really tough. They didn't have a way to do that. So um, if you remember back, I guess this would be the early 90s um, or mid 90s, there, there really was very few ways that you could remote and do things, right? So I ended up having to write a bridge using Corba that would talk to both oh. the mainframe and to like the web servers to pull data from mainframes. And it's still being used by Chase today. So it, it was one of my first big projects and one of the funnest things I've done. Wow, Corba, it's uh, like a horror show for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was horrible. <laughs> but I didn't know better back then. Well, yeah, I mean, back then it was a way, right? Yeah. So quickly to finish, and we could talk, you know, for many more hours probably, but how do you stay positive throughout everything that you're going through? Uh, very good question. So for those that don't know, I was diagnosed with cancer about three years ago, and mm. then I beat it. And then in March, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, and it spread everywhere, right? Uh -huh. So people often ask me, how do you stay positive? But the truth is, life is hard for all of us. All of us, it's hard, right? In, right. In, in some certain ways. And you can't wait until life isn't hard enough to decide to be happy. So mm -hmm. I decide to be happy every day that I can. Well, this is fantastic. Positivity as a, as a decision, as a conscious decision. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today, Abel. It was amazing. Thank you so much to all the viewers for watching. And we'll see you next time on Humans of Microsoft. Oof. Where is Laura? Laura is not with us? We lost him. Hey, oh, there, there he is. is. <laughs> I'm back. I had to rejoin. I had some technical issues. So, yeah, I'm sure you are very moved by what you saw. I know that I am. I know that when uh, I heard about Abel's passing, I cried. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Uh, Abel is such a good friend, and uh, he was also an amazing advocate. And so I, I want to keep it short, but I want to give you all the chance to go and buy T-shirts. I have one of those T-shirts. It says, don't accept the defaults, Abel Wong, and with the horn signs, because Abel was a rock star. He was a real guitarist, amazing guitarist, loves metal. You know, the horn sign is supposed to give you, you know, to keep the devil away, right? So... Please go ahead. There is a link coming up to a charity. And uh, through this bonfire um, uh, link, you can go and buy the T-shirts. They are absolutely amazing. They are really beautiful. I have two of them. And the whole proceeds will go to Girls Who Code, which is a great organization that was very dear to uh, Abel and to his family. So please do a good gesture. Go and buy T-shirts. And thank you so much for having me on the show today. Thank you, Laurent. And uh, now it's time to go with one of our next speaker, Olina. Hello. Hello. How are you? So <laughs> Sorry, I need to fix you, Olena. <laughs> Olena. Oh, so it's mostly, like, it's more French than English. Like, I should be more comfortable with that. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so we met a few days ago and we record a session. So while we are playing that session, uh, we'll be monitoring the chat because after that we do a Q&A. So let's roll the video. So I'm curious, what's the topic of your talk next week? Oh, it's quite an interesting topic, I would say. It's uh, going real time using Asia Cosmos DB and React. So obviously, uh, I will need to create a couple of uh, components on Asia. And if you would allow me, I will jump straight to it and I'll start um, having a quick walkthrough of what do we actually need to do and where do we start. Great. Right. So uh, we will have a couple of components in Asia. Like, as I already mentioned, we go in real time. It means that we will have Asia SignalR with uh, Asia Cosmos DB and we will also use Azure Functions. So we need three things on Azure. 
first of all is uh, Azure Cosmos DB. Uh, I already pre-created all the resources, so now it's just a quick walk through how to create it, uh, what am I selecting, and so on. So creating Azure Cosmos DB, I'm using always SQL API. Clicking Create. I'm using uh, Resource Group, which I already as well uh, pre-created for this. Um, I can provide some nice name for this, of course. Uh, I'm using always West Europe region. Uh, for my demo, and I mean, I'm new in Europe, so it's uh, um, obvious. And I'm using capacity mode serverless, and that's basically all I need, what I need to do for Cosmos DB. Then I can click review and create. It will take a couple of minutes to deploy all the things, so I'm not going to do this now. Um, and the next thing what we need is the function app. So we already created Azure Cosmos DB, let's assume. The next thing is the function app. The same steps. I'm going here, I'm selecting the resource group, which uh, the same as for uh, Azure Cosmos DB. I'm providing the function app and the publish uh, mod is code. And of course, runtime stack gonna be .NET in my case. And region, the same gonna be West Europe. As well, review, create, couple of minutes for deployment. Uh, once it's done, we will be almost ready to go. Last thing is uh, signal our service. The same steps, we are selecting resource group, quite easy, the same as before. We are selecting, uh, we're providing a nice resource name, region as well, West Europe. I'm using always uh, free tier uh, for just development and test purposes, and as well, serverless mode. So at this point, we will be, um, we will be done with Azure components. We will have everything what we need to build an application. That's pretty cool. So like now you created them using the portal because you know we're in the demo, so it's it's more pleasant, but that could all be script, correct? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Oh, there's uh, uh, many, many different options like Terraforms and Bicep and like uh, we, you can automate, uh, like make it everything um, automatically, the creation of the Cosmos DB, the function app and so on. But I do like to show how to do these things manually because when people are just starting to work with those, um, especially with Asia or Asia resources, um, it's really nice to click through and actually see what is happening inside. Yeah, definitely. It helps to put images uh, on, on words. So now yeah. that we have all the components, like how do we connect them or how do we maybe connect them to each other or how does that yes. work? Yes, uh, so um, if going back to my screen, uh, as I already mentioned before, so we have Azure Cosmos DB function up and SignalR. We need to make all this work together. So I do have, I should have somewhere, yeah, um, the backend implementation. So I have, uh, I implemented a couple of uh, Azure functions and I'm using as an example, a prototype of a small warehouse system. So I have a few Azure functions here, like uh, to simulate some movements which are happening inside the warehouse, uh, for example, to calculate um, stock, to, to show the display uh, status of my warehouse, and some Azure functions to connect the signal, provide some information, and so on. So what I need to do here is very easy, super easy. I love this. Uh, just click to publish to Azure, and what I need to do is, some exceptions always, uh, is to select the function app I created before. I click run, and we're done, we're good to go. If you'll go now, uh, of course, it's also as well taking some time, gonna take some time, so I'm gonna skip this step. But if I will go now to functions, to the function app uh, I already created before, after publish, we will be able to see the whole list of, uh, of our functions. And uh, basically the last step to connect all the things, I just need to provide some configurations here uh, basically, for my simple demo, of course, there's not much of a configuration. I do need to say, where is my Cosmos DB? And what is this Azure SignalR connection string and Azure SignalR key? Uh, all this information can be found if you would go, for example, to... Uh, if you would go to, to Cosmos DB, for example, there is a tab called Keys. And if we'll click on it, uh, we will see the primary connection string. The same with SignalR. If we'll go on the SignalR tab, uh, there is a key, keys tab, and there's going to be connection string and key. So 
once configuration is here, uh, we are ready to go. That's all. That's all what we basically need to make our application work. And I do have my uh, UI, my application uh, already up and running. So um, I will just trigger a function and um, it will take a couple of seconds to generate some data because all the free tires and so on and so on. But mm -hmm. we'll go in the Cosmos DB now and see what is happening. Uh, some data was generated. Right away. Super easy, right away. And if we will go here, there's another container, um, the Asia function working in the background and reacting on, on the changes which are happening here and simultaneously will create for us some materialized views, basically the status of our warehouse. If we'll go back, we see that some data has already appeared, appeared here. But the main point, just a couple of seconds before I finish, uh, we were talking about real time. So if we will start trigger, like start interval, and I'll just, uh, you know, generate some random data every couple of seconds, we will see on our UI, um, it will automatically update it, um, basically using SignalR service, which we had uh, previously created on Asia. That's how simple it is. That's awesome. And I know it was a lot of things to say in a few minutes. So when people can see your session at Cloud Summit? This, uh, my session is going to be in the first day of the conference. It's September 13. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. People are having fun about me killing your name. I'm so I feel bad. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's always the same story because um, I'm from Ukraine and my name is a bit specific. Everyone in Europe or from States, they always pronounce it wrongly. So it's my privilege to make fun from people. <laughs> Okay, I'm fine with that then. I will, I will <laughs> embrace my difference. Uh, I had a, um, a very uh, personal question. So, like, how long does it take, like, to, to, to from scratch to have, like, some kind of prototype? Like, how long would, would that take? Mm, well, if just to build, when you already have an idea and you already know everything, like, what you want to do, just to build it, for me, uh, you know, a couple of cups of coffee, good mood, <laughs> nice music, one or two nights, and you might be done. But it all depends. You know, uh, sometimes you build, um, I don't know, skeleton, you don't like it, you change it, and it can take weeks. Uh, this uh, demo going real time took for me like two or three days because I was also playing a bit with UI, uh, with React, and just uh, having it as a hobby, I would say. So, yeah, depends. Some people I know can spend like months, I mean, for really complicated demos for the preparation of a session. So it all depends on them. Yeah, of course, it always depends. Uh, and like SignalR and like also CosmoDB. I know recently I played with CosmoDB. There's really great uh, learning path or learn module. And I put them also in uh, the show notes. Try to uh, stress here my uh, Ryan and production by saying show notes. So all the details, all the links will be available after after the show over there. There's great learning path over there. And of course, the session available. Um, why did you create a materialized view instead of uh, using the data directly, though, like in a few seconds? Um, yeah, you see, uh, normally, traditionally, I would uh, just fetch my data from database and relational databases, for example. And or I will build query and I call it every time I need it. With Cosmos DB, it's not the case because they use partitions. So basically, your data can end up in different physical servers. So if you would call query every time when you need to, when you have read operation, uh, you will need to fetch data from different physical locations, and it will just um, lead to unnecessary expenses. Uh, so instead, we are creating materialized views, which um, pre-calculated queries. So we aggregate our data, we do whatever we need, uh, reacting on the changes in Cosmos DB, basically on triggers. Uh, so once something changed, we updated our materialized view, we pre-calculated again this query, and then every time we need to access this information, it's just plain read without any computations. Thank you. Looking forward to, uh, to watch your session. We'll get back to uh, the end of the show to repeat all the dates of those sessions, but now it's time to bring Sam with me. Sam, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. So uh, just like the others we met, we record a little talk, a chit chat between us. So uh, while you're going to monitor the, 
the chat for questions. Let's play that video. Good. So what's the topic of your sessions at the Cloud Summit? Okay, so the, yeah, the topic I'm talking about is called the state of Azure infrastructure as code. So what we're gonna be talking about really is how you can get started with doing things in infrastructure as code. So I'm, I'm a big, big believer in, in you know, getting out of the portal, stopping clicking and, and, and using UIs and building your infrastructure using code. But if you wanna get started down that path, it can be really confusing because now nowadays there are so many different options in terms of what you can actually use, the different technologies available, and how do you actually choose you know, which one to use and, and get started with them. So the session um, I'm delivering at the Cloud Summit, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna have a look at what options are available um, what they look like, what, what they have in terms of benefits and downsides, um, and then hopefully help you make a decision as to which tooling you might want to make use of. Um, yeah, there are various different criteria that will drive you down the path of one tool or another. Um, you know, things like, am I going to deploy into multiple clouds? Do I need to get native support from the vendors? All those sort of things. So we'll have a look at what the criteria are and hopefully help you make a decision. And then we're also gonna have a look at some real world projects as well um, that sort of highlight some of the advantages of, of different tooling. So there's multiple tools. I'm assuming right now when you start a job, like a, a project, like could you help the viewers to like, how can someone can know how which one to pick? Yeah, exactly. There are there are so many different tools. And so, you know, we've got we've got things like the native providers from Microsoft, like ARM templates and the new tooling called Bicep. And then you've got the third party vendors like Terraform, Pulumi, and then some community projects like Pharma. Um, and so these tools all have different uh, abilities and different things that you can use them for. Um, things like, you know, if you look at ARM templates to start with, they're, they're the native Microsoft toolkit. So they're, they're built by Microsoft. Um, and they usually have the new resources in them first. They're supported by Microsoft if you have a support contract. Um, and so there's a lot of reasons why you might choose that if you're a Microsoft first shop um, and you're gonna be deploying Azure resources and that's it. Um, whereas if you're gonna be doing things where you're deploying to multiple different places, so Azure, but maybe other cloud providers, but maybe even other things like Kubernetes and uh, GitHub and other things, it doesn't have to be multi-cloud. But then if you're gonna do that, then you might wanna look at a provider where um, where it supports those multiple different offerings. So things like Terraform and Pulumi, where you can actually deploy to lots of different places. Um, and then another option is, well, how do you actually want to write your code that you're deploying with? Um, so things like ARM templates, you're writing JSON. Bicep is a move forward to that, to using more of a sort of uh, less, complicated DSL, um, but it's still a domain-specific language. Whereas something like Pulumi, you could write your code in any language. You could write it in Python, uh, C-sharp, um, uh, TypeScript, all those sort of things. Or something like Pharma, where you can write it in what is effectively F-sharp, but in a more user-friendly approach. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different <laughs> there are a lot of different something something. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what you were you were saying? Um, yeah, I think we were just talking about the fact there are lots of different options you can use, and generally you're going to want to pick the one that uh, you know suits your requirements, whatever they might be. Okay. I have no clue where we were in the video. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm kind of like. Ah. Um. Uh, so I'm assuming you talked about the different. Uh, framework possible or did you add the favorite uh yes i think we talked a little bit about what i'm using well we talked a little bit first about bicep um so that was a that was an interesting topic because bicep is is obviously the new language um from from microsoft that's built on top of arm templates so it's not a replacement for arm templates but a a more simplified language that works with arm templates and one of the one of the aims of that project was to make it much simpler for people to get um get started with writing infrastructure as code, particularly when with the Microsoft stack and using a native uh, toolkit. Um, ARM templates are great, but they can be very complicated when you, uh, you're you trying to get started. Um, you know, there's a lot of JSON, they're very verbose. And when you try and use some of the more advanced features, they can they can be a big, you know, steep learning curve. So Bicep is a, is a new version of that effectively that Microsoft have released that 
tries to simplify the approach and make some of the particularly more advanced features more usable and easy to, to start with. In particular, things like modules is, is, a, is one of my favorites, the way they've transformed nested templates that were in, in ARM templates into uh, the module approach in, in Bicep. It's taken away a lot of the complexity complexity of, of that um, and made a really great way of packaging up your, your components for reuse. That's pretty cool. So Bicep is not there, though, to replace ARM template. In fact, I think it's the same teams, right? That, that... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same team, and it's built on top of, of ARM templates. And they've been quite clever about the way they've done it. So it isn't a completely new language. Well, what it gives you is the ability to, to write your templates in a much more simplified language. But when you come to actually deploy them, you compile them into, I think actually what they call it, transpile, but um, into an ARM template. Um, and that's what spits out the end of it. So what you're deploying is an ARM template. So you can still use all the tooling you use for doing deployments and so on, um, but you don't have to write the ARM template. Um, you can, you know, despite the fact you're spitting out an ARM template, you can never look at that ARM code if you don't want to. Um, so it's it's quite clever the way they've wrapped up some of those uh, complicated ARM things into a much more simple bicep approach. Oh, that's interesting. So opening a, a parenthesis is very personal. So I, I know ARM template a lot. I did a lot of uh, of the video and content about ARM template and stuff, but I never did yet try Bicep because, you know, times. So is there is there a good place to get started? Do you have any suggestion for people like me who would like to get started with Biceps? Yeah, so a couple of places. So there is a there is a Microsoft Learn module on Bicep, and I think that's in the in the show notes already. Um, but you can you can follow that uh, that Microsoft Learn path, and that should get you along the way. Um, I'll also, while I'm here, plug a personal project. So I've got a, a ARM template masterclass video series that I produce as well. Um, that also goes through sort of learning ARM templates and Bicep um, from the beginning. Excellent. And like, where can we find that masterclass from your blog? That yeah, also... so there's a, there's a blog post I've got on that. I'll also put the direct link to the to the playlist. I don't think it's on the show notes at the minute, but I'll, I'll get that added. What do you have time to? Did you ever try Kyla some uh, infrastructure as code? Um, I have personally never tried it, but um, so I'm a command line fan, as probably most of you know. So why? would I use infrastructure as code over the portal or like PowerShell and the command line? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. So the, if you take the portal first, I mean, one of the big reasons why you do that is consistency. Um, you know, I think we've all experienced, if you can't try and create more than one of something in the portal, you'll generally dev type something in slightly differently or pick a different option and they won't be exactly the same, uh, particularly if you come back to it a few weeks later. So by using infrastructure as code, you're declaring what you want and you can run it as many times as you want and you'll get exactly what you asked for. Um, when you look at the CLI and PowerShell, you obviously can do that with, with those as well. Um, but one of the big benefits of you looking at infrastructure as code compared to the command line is that you are you are do, using a decorative approach rather than a more scripted approach. So when you write your templates, you are basically telling the provider, whoever that might be, what you want to deploy, but not the how. That's that's sort of dealt with for you. Whereas if you write some PowerShell, you're going to have to define what you want, but also how you want to deploy it, um, do any error, catching errors and all that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of that is handled for you um, with, with ARM templates. There's oh, well, any infrastructure as code. Um, and another great reason is the fact that these these templates are should be idempotent. So if you run them ten times, they should do exactly the same thing ten times. Um, so you shouldn't end up if you only wanted one storage account deploying ten of them because you ran it ten times, which you can do with with CLI scripts. And uh, like you mentioned, like they are they, they should be uh, omnipotent and stuff like that. So how do you test? Is there a way to unit test your? Yeah, so the, it depends what which tooling you're using. But obviously, one of the benefits of the fact that you're writing infrastructure as code is that it, it's it's code, so you can test it and you can you can write unit tests and, and integration tests and so on. Um, now, how you do that, it again depends on the language. Some of them. So there's a there's a product called Pulumi, which is a third party. Uh, tooling for to doing this, which is based on writing infrastructure actually as code using C-sharp or Python or whatever. And so that's pretty easy to write unit tests for um, because you can just use your, your existing unit tests um, your language. Things like uh, ARM templates and Bicep is a little harder because they're not a programming language, they're a DSL. Um, but you can use things like um, um, PowerShell tests. So uh, PESTA is a testing framework you can use for that. Yeah. Um, and I've got some examples of that actually on my blog if, if people want to dig into that. But you can write tests and you can, so you can, you know, say, okay, well, I intended to deploy this and look at the actual infrastructure that you've deployed and see whether or not they match and, you know, write simple or really complicated tests. 
I love it. And uh, you're awesome, my <laughs> buddy. Stay calm when the video uh, stop and just uh, continue on, on the fly like that. Really, really appreciate it. Like, real pro. Uh, Kyla, what? Uh, where it's time to wrap up, I think. We should uh, call our guests one more time so they could uh, refresh the, memor the memory of our viewers. Yeah, I think. Um... We can bring everyone up one by one. They can tell us a little bit about their session and when to watch each one. Yeah, let's start by uh, Jonah. Yes, hi. So uh, please uh, watch my uh, talk at, uh, at Cloud Summit on September 14, 8, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And I will be talking about things to consider when migrating uh, .NET applications to the cloud. See you there. Awesome. Thanks, Jonah. Um, next up, we have Vedant. So the biggest suspense is that whether we'll find Dory or not. Hopefully, we will, but let's see. So to just know whether we find Dory or not, join me on 19th of September for my session. And see you there. Register for Cloud Summit. Cool. Thanks, Vedant. Uh, Elena, you're up next. Yeah, um, join my session on September 13th, so it's Monday, first day, and my session will start at 2.50 p.m. Um, in this time slot for one hour, so I'll be waiting. Great, and last but not least, we have Sam, who we just saw. Yep, so my session will be on the 23rd, that's a Thursday, at 11.30 Eastern or 4.30 uh, UK time, and hopefully without any technical difficulties this time. Sounds great. Thanks. I was just checking. Like some questions are still continuing to enter. Maybe we should add one, one a few more. I think Helena, you already answered one of them. Was about uh, how Function App and SignalR and Cosmo DB connect behind the scene in Azure, right? Something like that. Do you want to answer that? Yes. Um, basically, as I as I wrote in an answer, you have to provide um, connection string. So Cosmos connection string. Uh, Azure connection string and Azure, um, sorry, SignalR uh, key and connection string to function app. So once function app has all the configurations, uh, when the function will be executed, um, it's basically done. That's how, how they connect it. You don't need to configure um, anything additionally. If you don't need anything special, uh, just those connection strings. And Azure basically going to manage everything for you. That's pretty cool. Just just a simple connection and like we're all good. Oh, you cannot imagine how surprised I was when I was doing this demo first time, first configuration in Asia. I created those components, added con um, uh, configuration, those connection strings, and it just worked. I was like, okay, this is new for me. Usually I'm a couple of hours debugging. So, yeah. that's, that's pretty good. Um, Sam, any... Um, how can we decide which one framework or like solution we want to use when we start with the infrastructure infrastructure as code? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, and it's going to depend what you're comfortable with and what you need to get out the end of it. Um, one of that we'll go through this in quite a lot of detail in my session, but it's yeah, there are going to be some factors that decide things right off the bat. So if you're if you're looking to deploy to multiple clouds or maybe to Azure and Kubernetes, then one of the, the multi-cloud frameworks like Bloomio or Terraform is going to be where you want to go. Um, if you want to write um, real code, you want to write in Python or C Sharp or um, Go, then something like Plumi is, is where you go. Or if you want to use F Sharp, is, is Pharma. Um, if you want to be using the sort of the latest and greatest things um, that have come out of Azure and you want support from Microsoft, then obviously the native um, toolkits of, of ARM templates and Bicep would be where you would go. And to be honest, if you're starting new now, I, I take Bicep over ARM templates. Uh, I wouldn't really suggest anyone starts fresh with ARM templates now, I don't think. No, thank you, thank you. Looking forward. All great session. Big thanks to all of you coming on the show today as an extra of your session, very appreciated. Um, I want to talk just a little bit kind of tease because next week, Hello World is coming back again, of course, and we'll have Azure Communication Services, like a special episode about that topic. And also another one about Azure uh, Microsoft Graph. So like all the PMs will be doing stuff. 
uh, demos and talk about that. And coming next, right now, it's Azure Funbyte, where Jay and Christos will be talking about security and your password. So stay tuned for more. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for the show. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.